Hey, listeners, before we begin today's episode, I have an exciting announcement to make. We've partnered with DCM Insights for a free masterclass on September 14th at 11 a.m. Mountain. This masterclass will feature someone familiar to the Sales Intelligence Weekly podcast, Mr. Matt Dixon, co-author of The Challenger Sale and his upcoming book, The Jolt Effect. He and I will present side-by-side and explore how B2B go-to-market teams can overcome customer indecision. Together, we're going to dissect why no decisions even occur, the psychology behind buyer behavior, how high performers overcome customer indecision, and why no decisions should be treated differently than losses. I'll be debuting some new proprietary research around no decisions from our 20-plus years of win-loss analysis, never before heard by the public. If you are in sales or marketing, this is a must-attend event. So go reserve your seat at www.primary-intel.com. This event is coming soon on September 14th, so don't miss it. This podcast is brought to you by Primary Intelligence, the leader in win-loss analysis, focused on helping businesses uncover the unique story on how each sales rep can win more deals. Hey, everyone, and thanks for joining me on another rousing edition of Sales Intelligence Weekly, brought to you by Primary Intelligence. I'm Ryan Queller. So as B2B sales and marketers, we understand that a multi-channel approach is crucial to nurturing and capturing your prospects, right? But, but today we're going to explore one time-tested channel that is key to winning more opportunities, email. There's a method to creating impact email strategies in sales and marketing. You can't just send random emails and expect your prospects to move through the funnel. So today we're going to explore how you can leverage email to win more opportunities. I'm excited to introduce our guest today, Mr. Jeff Winters, founder of Sapper Consulting. Jeff, is it, can I call you Jefferson? Is that, is that okay? Is Jefferson appropriate? It's preferred. Okay. Yeah. Welcome, welcome to the show, man. Hey, thanks for having me, Ryan. Yeah, yeah. So before we get into the con- conversation, you know, the, the deep dark secrets of, of all things email and how to actually get, get people to, to sit up in their chair and pay attention. Tell us about you. Uh, tell us about your experience. Sure. So I'll give you the, the work experience and sort of how Sapper came to be and, and where we are now. If you want to know more, I can, I can get into that too. But um, I started a, a company called Sapper Consulting in August of, of 2013. And, and, but just immediately before that, um, the reason the company got started was I was working at this uh, at this software company, this technology company. And when I started at this tech company, um, the guy hired me at like 26 years old, you know, to be the head of revenue. And I thought, boy, this guy's figured out what my mom always told me, right? That I had like this incredible potential. I was going to do amazing things at a super young age. And I come in, my chest puffed out on day one. And he's like, look, really excited to have you here. But you ought to know this product never really been sold to anybody. And you can only sell it to chief human resources officers at like Fortune 1000 companies. Go. And so at that moment, I realized that he hadn't found what my mom always told me I had. He had just kind of figured, found somebody that would take this job that was going to be totally impossible. So I literally, Ryan, for, for like a year, I failed. Like just couldn't get any of these chief human resources officers, these enormous companies on the phone to sell them the software, obviously, because they're super busy. And so uh, I started waking up in the middle of the night and writing funny emails. And lo and behold, I got 150 appointments in one year. And I go to these appointments. And the one that sticks out is at Morgan Stanley. I flew to New York. 
went to like the 134th floor of this enormous edifice. And there's like six people in this room and they're like, hey, we're excited to see the software. Thanks for coming. Sounds really cool. But first, can you tell us how the hell you got this meeting? Because like people like us don't meet with people like you. And at that moment, I was like, all right, that was it. And I quit because I figured I could write emails and get meetings for any company with any company. And so fast forward, you know, eight years, we sold the business uh, to an amazing company called Abstract Marketing Groups. So and now we've teamed up and I'm doing the same thing for thousands of clients. And at the end of the day, I built this business based on writing funny emails in the beginning and then a you know, smorgasbord of different kinds of emails throughout. That's my, it's my professional story. But, well, you know, uh, every story has a good arc, my, my friend, and it always starts with the, you know, the, the hero story, the, the rising from the ashes. Uh, the, fail, the failure part, I think, is oftentimes overlooked in business, right? Everybody wants to, like you said, puff out their chest, beat their chest. Uh, here, you know, believe what their mom told them growing up. You're special. You're the best. You're, you're the most handsome, tallest weight. Uh, anyway, am I talking about myself? Anyway, uh, <laughs> yeah. so we, we start to believe that the noise around us and maybe sometimes the, the maybe overconfidence that's, that's inside of us, but that failure can be the greatest teacher. I'm curious, you got to that meeting, you did the meeting. They didn't want the software, but they were curious about you. What did you tell them? I told them I was so proud. I'm so proud. We spent the entire hour. I just literally walked them chapter and verse through my email strategy, how I, I broke down the email. I think they had their head of sales in there who, who hated me at that point. You know, they're like, yeah, come listen to this 27 year old who just somehow got this meeting with this funny email. And we walked through this email that I wrote and I explained why I did each thing, just thinking that this would just blow over and their minds totally blown. You know, like, wait a minute, this is a you did a joke and then this was three lines and this was two sentences and there was a semicolon and not a period. And we spent an hour talking about this email and this email strategy. And Ryan, as I'm going through it, I'm like, I, I, I think these people, I think I have something here that's unusual and I think I've solved a problem. And I know in, in business, so often when we're talking about starting businesses, like start a business with a problem that you know you can solve. Right. And I feel like a lot of times entrepreneurs like search for a problem uh, I just happen to find a problem and start the business as opposed to like searching for a problem, knowing you wanted to start a business. That wasn't the, the route I took, neither better nor worse. It's just an interesting note. I think there's a lot of, hey, let me go find a problem because I know I want to start a business. I just happen to have a problem, identified it, solved it, started a business. After. That's rad. Okay. So um, total side note, I mean, you, you've got all kinds of things firing inside my head right now. I'm really curious to know, uh, funny emails. Why did you land on funny emails? Not, uh, not the smartest guy in the room emails or, you know, doomsday emails. Why funny? Um, that's what I had in the toolkit, you know, like I had, that was like, that was what I was good at. You know, like I, I always, I could write funny stuff. Like that was a, a thing. I always wanted to be a comedian. Um, I like love giving funny rehearsal dinner speeches. Like that was just a thing that I could do. And so it was like, you know, I was 20, like I said, I was 26, 27, 28. And I was doing this, like, truly, I was doing this rehearsal dinner circuit and I was giving speeches to these rehearsal dinners and people thought they were funny. And then all my friends would be like, Hey, can you write mine? So I started writing them. And then I was thinking, huh, well, in the vein of writing these rehearsal dinner speeches, maybe if I just try to move this to an email, it'll work. And it did. And that was the genesis of it. The, opera, the operationalization of humor. I love this. 
Okay, so let, let's get into it a little bit. Um, let's start with the foundation for our listeners, right? So of all the different channels a B2B, uh, you know, of a B2B go-to-market team can use to connect with prospects, why prioritize emails? Um, so I'm not going to say prioritize one or the other. Like there's- okay. Okay. But if you're going to prioritize email, there's, there's a couple good reasons why you would do it. First okay. is cost. So the cost, if email works, it's the lowest cost channel, period. Um, so that's number one is, is cost because you can send out enormous amounts of emails. All you have to have is a contact list and someone to field those emails and schedule meetings. Uh, the second is volume. You, you'd have to hire, if you had somebody making 130 cold calls a day, it would take you forever to reach as many people as you could reach in an email campaign in an hour. Um, and the third, I think, is is interesting, especially as it relates to outbound. So if you want to separate sort of inbound marketing and prospecting from outbound marketing and prospecting is show rate. Um, the show rate on email versus other channels in our experience is higher, um, which stands to reason. You know, if you're sending someone an email, they're taking the time. It has to land in their inbox. They have to see it. They have to open it. They have to think about it. They have to read it. They have to reply to it. They have to send a calendar invite or they have to accept a calendar invite. I think the bar is a little bit higher than some other channels. So those three reasons you might want to think about making email a priority amongst uh, some of your other channels or in combination with some of your other channels. Okay. So uh, email in general, uh, I think that this makes sense, but I, I want to, I think there's probably a couple different ways that we could go with this episode right from here on out. Yeah. Um, you know, we could talk about it from the marketing perspective and we could talk about it from the sales perspective. Mm -hmm. I, I want to start, I want to look at both. I want to explore in both, both categories. Um, let, let's start with, you know, maybe marketing. Where do you see marketing emails fitting within the buyer journey? Cause I'm assuming they're separate, different types of emails. Yeah. So I'm going to break it out this way. I'm going to say marketing. Great. So I'm going to call that more like nurture content in our marketing bucket. And then the other bucket I'm going to call sales development. So whether it's salespeople doing their own outreach or sales development representatives, SDRs, business development representatives, BDRs, setting up meetings for prospects. So that's how setting up meetings for salespeople. So that's how I'll break it out. Let's start with marketing. Um, where I love, where I, where I see such great work being done marketing email wise is post form fill, post opt in. That journey from I am either kicking the tires or I'm high level interested in some web content or some social content to I'm ready to take a meeting. So let's let's talk about that. Yeah. Um, the thought there for me is you want to take someone on this very interesting educational journey where you are building credibility and providing tremendous value. And a good gut check for how to think about if my providing value in this like nurture cadence would be, can I send an email every day and not piss the people who opted in off? Because you can. The, the people who are doing it the best can, can do that and clear that bar. Is your content that good? Um, and that's, that's the way I would think about that. Now, in terms of how I would write that content, and Ryan, I'm going to drone for a second, then you can jump in but just some like quick tips for listeners on what I would do. Um, with that particular marketing content, I would make it 75% educational and 25% transactional meeting asks. So whatever your length of your email 
sequence is, however many touch points you have, you want to blend, again, just my rule of thumb, 75-25 in this particular phase. And if I'm writing this content, what I'm doing is it's entirely text-based, no pictures, no graphics. I'm centering the text in the middle of the reader's screen on a computer or phone. I've got no more than eight words per line, and it's double space. So it's eight words, double space, eight words, double space, funnel it all the way down. And your goal in that email is to earn the right for them to read the next sentence. So the idea is, oh, it's only six more words. Oh, it's only five more words. Oh, it's only four more words. Oh, it's only three more words. And it's this super valuable email that's really well-written and truncated into a vertical column and you're teaching someone something. And it's so valuable that they'd be willing to get it and read it every single day. Okay, so when you said uh, you can, you know, the best people, the best, the people that execute best, yeah. they can get away with daily content, daily emails and not piss somebody off. I was like, uh, -uh not buying it, dude. But how, how you described it, that makes sense. How did you, I mean, this sounds like a haiku, you know, it's, it sounds like you're a haiku uh, poem that you're writing here T tell me about how did you, how did you land on the, on this kind of center of the screen? You know, was this trial and error? I mean, how, how'd you come across, come across this? Copy the best like purely copy the best. I mean, one one guy who I love, his name's Chris Orlov. He's formerly at Gong, um, gong.io. They do sales intelligence, conversational intelligence, give you insights. Um, I've just followed his strategy forever. I think he's a genius. And now I'm on one of the drips and it's like every day I'm like, I can't wait to read this. And I feel stupid like because I know the game. Like I know what he's doing. And I'm reading, I'm like, this is so good. It's right in the middle of the screen perfect for me. It's like, that's, that's where we're at. Cause look, whether you're talking about nurture emails or you're talking about sales development emails, it, it, whatever works for you works, but what works today doesn't work tomorrow. So what I'm trying to do is like give listeners tips for like what's working today because yeah. the best practice, it doesn't work. And so that's what I, that's what I'd recommend on the marketing side. So I love that. Um, and you also said the split of 75, 25, 75 education, 25 call to action for like a meeting ask. Um, and, and, and if I'm reading the tea leaves here and I don't think it's a, a tough read, it's, you want to, you want to nurture, you really want to nurture. Nurture is not asking. It's truthfully trying to step into their shoes, trying to give more than you're trying to take from them. Am I following right? Or why, why 75, 25? Yeah. So, um, exactly right. 75, 25, because once we get to the sales development emails, it's going to flip. So when we get to hey, sales, let's go there. Yeah. Tell me about this. 75 ask 25 education, but what you have, generally speaking, when people are coming to your site, you've got you've got tire kickers, you've got people who are super hot and interested, and then you've got people who are like literally just looking at content, like not not interested at all, but just want the content for whatever reason. And so the people who are super, I mean, people who are super interested are going to book a demo, you know. So it's like, what do you do with this group of people who are who are interested but just not now? Well, I want to give them so much value that when it's time to book a demo they're ready. And like, they almost feel like guilty is probably the wrong emotion, but it's like, all right, Jeff's Jeff and his team have given me so much. The least I could do is book a demo because every day I'm reading their emails and I'm sending it off to my sales team going, here we go again. Look at this, look at this. And so that's, that's why. So you're invoking a type of reciprocity, uh, giving at the beginning and then asking uh, during, you know, in the marketing or nurturing side, and then in the, the sales development side, the ask. Um, okay. So, you know, how do you convey your intent? I mean, 
for example, texting, and I, and I know we're talking about email, but texting, uh, I can't tell you how many times uh, conversations between my wife and I, my wife and I have gone sideways because intention and tone and all of that is far, you know, far more difficult to convey than face-to-face -face talking. How do you convey intent or how do you demonstrate your intention in an in email? You know, it's, it's, it's really hard. I mean, conveying intent in email is really difficult. I think, and this might sound like sort of um, maybe detailed or in the weeds, but typically what we'll do is we'll use a lot of lowercase, not uppercase. We'll never use like all caps words. We use punctuation in particular spots to keep it soft. But, you know, you got to be careful. Like I, I also invoke a lot of Chris, like Chris Voss, you ever read that book? Never split the difference. Like, yeah. Opposed to saying, hey, do you want an email tomorrow? Say something like, hey, would it be impossible to get on your calendar next week? Like those sorts of turns of phrases, trying to get a no instead of trying to get a yes. Those are kinds of little techniques that you might use. But at the end of the day, like in those emails, I I'm not trying to be, you know, you can, you can be funny. You can try to be cutesy. At the end of the day, when I'm talking about like the non-education, the educational is sort of like generally fact-based, here's what I'm doing. But when I'm talking about the 25% where I'm like, hey, I want to schedule a meeting, it's what problem do these people have? How do I solve it? How have I done it for others? When can we talk? I, I'm, not, I'm not futzing around with a whole lot beyond that. Okay, that makes good sense. And frankly, I think when you're, when you're staying true to the, to, to the purpose, and, and look, people, everybody knows, anybody that's receiving a marketing email, a nurturing email, or a sales development email knows that it's a, a nurturing or a sales development email, right? I mean, of course you do. Um, and it's it, you stay true to con true to focus and true to the purpose or the intention without uh, being too cute. I really like this. Okay, so let's talk about some best practices Can here. Can I pick up on something you just said, though? I think oh, please go, please. Around intent, how you truly feel about an email is going to come out. So if I'm writing a piece of content that I'm trying to share value, but even like in in my soul, I'm like I want somebody to really book a demo from this. You're not going to be able it's going to carry through like that purity truly matters. So that's why when I say 75, 25, like for 75%, give away your best stuff, give away your best material in that 75% and just put it out into the world with no expectation. And like, get into that mindset. When you're doing marketing and nurture emails, put out your best stuff into the world. Don't worry about anybody stealing it. Nobody's stealing your stuff. Doesn't happen. Put your best stuff out and just expect nothing in return. You'll be shocked at the content you develop versus, all right, I want to give value, but I don't want to give too much. And I really want to book a meeting. It's going to come through and it's not going to work. People gravitate to that, don't they? I mean, when they truly feel the intention, when, and that's why I asked about intention. I think that's, that's like the key to, to most everything in life is if you can convey your intention appropriately, people will forgive technical deficiency. They'll forgive, you know, uh, you know, what, whatever they'll forgive a lot if your intentions are true and you're authentic and you can come across appropriately, I think, I think that that lands, I mean, is that, is that what you're saying? That's exactly what I'm saying. It will, it will. And like, it's more the opposite is true. Like if you, if you do create that intent and that intent comes through, that gives you license to, to share enough value where someone will want to read, you know, like that's necessary, but not sufficient to me. The opposite is more important of like, if your intent is clearly disingenuous or you're just trying to book a meeting that's going to come through too. And that's not bad, but if it's not the intent of that particular piece, then you have a problem. 
oh, okay, we're cooking with gas here. If you have multiple intentions, you start cross signaling, right? You start mixing, you know, mixing it up and you're sending mixed signals to somebody that's going to confuse and likely to deter them from not wanting to either read more or click yes to meeting or whatever. Is that, am I following? Is that right? Or tell, you know, 1000%, let me crystallize it in an example. Yeah. So as we move from the nurture emails, which are the people who are filling out forms or hitting the site or um, what have you over to like pure sales development, which is I am trying to book a meeting. Mm -hmm. It is very natural to have, let's just say you want to email, let's just say you want a sequence of 12 to 15 touches over a 60 day period. Okay. And let's say of those 12, seven of them are email. It's very natural to have two, one or two of those emails where you're just giving something away. Hey, I saw an article I thought you'd like. What you don't want to do there is say, hey, I saw an article I thought you'd like. How about 15 minutes to talk next week? That's that's the point I'm making. Don't do that. Because that's like, ugh, that feels a little cringy. Like, look, everybody knows you're not sending an article because they think because you're buds. It's still a stranger. But at a minimum, it's like, look, I, I happen to give a shit enough. Heck us. Yes, please. I, I, I prefer it. So I happen to give a shit enough about you. I've done some modicum of research on you and your industry and your space. Like I found this article. I think it could be relevant. Like, okay, don't, don't muddy the waters, but I think it's relevant. I'd love to have a meeting. You know? Yeah, no, I, so that's, that's fantastic. Uh, it's like turning on your uh, blinker. If you're driving on the car, it's like turn on your right blinker and turn and left. It's like, don't, don't do that, man. You're going to confuse people that are trying to, trying to, you know, navigate life. All right. So uh, again, I want to come back a little bit to, to best practices. So you've given some really good ideas around intention. Um, uh, let's, let's talk about targeting. Let, let's get into targeting uh, from on the nurture side, and then let's get into the sales side. Tell, tell me about that. Okay. So on the nurture side, uh, your targeting is often pretty predetermined by who's filling out forms and who's hitting your site and who's going to your, who's going at a conference and suggesting interest. So like, I think the, the targeting is probably a little less interesting there. Maybe more interesting would be segmenting. So taking that group, however many you have, filling out these forms, showing top of funnel interest and making sure that you're following up with them appropriately with a phone call, ideally within five minutes. And then with a series of emails spliced with phone calls, like that is like how I would think about that. In terms of targeting, probably more interestingly, on the sales development side, again, SDRs, BDRs, sales reps trying to get meetings for themselves, um, the way I would, I, would, I would break this down into how big is my market? How big is the market that I'm going after? And then I would correlate how big the market is that I'm going after inversely to how much time I'm going to spend on these emails for this campaign. So let me give you an example, Okay. If I'm going after every small business in the United States, if every small business in the United States can be a customer of mine, I'm not going to spend 45 minutes per email. It doesn't make any sense, right? Because the, the customer base is so huge. I don't need to spend time tailoring and personalizing. And it, 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 you don't need to do that because your market's so big. Now, if I'm only going after the Fortune 100, okay, that's my entire prospect base. You probably have an issue, but like that's your entire prospect base then you better make darn sure that every single email and every single call and every single touch point is manicured like a beautiful bonsai tree because you can't burn one. You can't waste it. You only have a hundred prospects. And so like, from a targeting perspective, that's where I'd start is right there. Is my market 
enormous? My total available market is huge and millions of businesses, or is it a hundred? And then I got to figure out, okay, now I can work backwards and say, how much time am I going to spend crafting and iterating and uh, working on these campaigns? Because if you have a hundred targets, you can't waste one. And if you got 5 million, don't spend 45 minutes per email. Like you got a little time to, to have more of a volume play. So that's where I'd start. Okay. That's brilliant. All right. So we've been through kind of some messaging strategies and some cadence. Wait, no cadence. I want to back up. Is there a difference in kids from your perspective? Is there a difference in cadence on the nurture side versus the sales side? Absolutely. Oh, okay. Unpack that for me. Why yeah. and how? So um, on the, I'll give you what the, our data suggests, particularly on the, the outbound side. So on the outbound side, again, sales development reps, uh, developing meetings purely from cold. So these are cold prospects. They have never heard of you. They, I mean, they may have heard of you, but like you have no understanding that they've heard of you. They know nothing about you. Uh, what we found is five or six emails. Don't talk to them for 60 to 90 days, five or six more. So rotate around this universe of prospects, five to six emails, four times a year. Okay. So that's for listeners that you can set it and forget it. That's what we do. Um, Next, on the nurture side, it totally depends. Like, again, I would love to create a nurture campaign with enough value that you can do a daily. A lot of it's resources, um, like sort of resource constraints. How much great content can you send? You know, that sort of thing. But like, I would work backwards from, I've created content that is so valuable. I could send it literally every day and no one would get upset. Okay. Uh, all about the content, all about understanding the audience and the content. Okay. I get this. Um, you alluded to uh, cold, uh, cold email outreach. That's kind of what we talk about. Let's talk about warm emails. Let's talk about, you know, the, those folks that might be a little bit more, more warm. Are there different differences in messaging strategy, cadence and targeting for warm emails? Yeah. So uh, yes, definitely. Um, and again, I, I sort of, I sort of equate warm a little bit, like my world is so split. You know, my world is warm is sort of nurture and marketing, whereas cold is like very transactional sequenced based. But with so with but with warm, though, like all I'm trying to do is is book is book a meeting. Like you don't need to re you don't need to send anything creative or clever or interesting. Like if somebody's warm and you think you can convert them to a meeting, like I'm picking up the phone like that to me is a perfect time. And I'm an email person, but I'm. I'm converting quickly to like email plus phone plus social equals optimal. So like if I have somebody warm, I'm advocating to pick up the phone. And here's why. And Ryan, I'll give you an interesting example. So we send, a, we send out a cold email and someone replies with a question or someone replies with a um, some indication of interest. That could be another warm email, right? Okay, great. Well, let me put them into a warm email sequence or this person's pretty warm. Let me follow up with emails. Don't do it. Don't do it. We did that for eight years. We have now come to the realization that that's the moment you immediately pick up the phone. That's the moment you immediately pick up the phone with a warm reply and say, hey, I, look, so I, thanks for the reply. really appreciate it. Want to make sure I have A, the context for your question so that I can answer it appropriately. And B, if you have any others, I just want to be here to support you for that. Boom. Pick up the phone, make the call. So no warm, that's a good tip for the audience. No more warm email back and forth. Don't do it. Pick up the phone, make the call, set the meeting. So, so why, why not? I mean, what's the danger? What's the risk of doing the, the trying the back and forth when they're in the warm? The danger is you lose them for a second, you lose them forever. You lose them for a second, you lose them forever. So I am now at my desk. I have replied to your email. 
which frankly is like borderline miracle. You know, like I've sent this to a stranger and they are they have, they have looked at it, they have replied to it, and they're sitting at their desk and they're focused on it. What happens if the, the kid runs outside? Or does this, I say that because that's me, like that's what happens to me. Like what happens if the, like people are coming in for dinner? Like what happens if I get another call? Like I'm gone. Like I have so many emails where it's like I replied and I'm in the moment and then I never, you could follow me a million times. So if I'm here, I'm in the moment, somebody shoots that email back, boom, pick up the phone, make a call. Gone for a second, gone forever. Don't take the risk. I mean, that might be the, uh, that should be the name of the show. The title is gone for a second, gone forever. That's, that's, that sounds like a book. I think that's the title of your book. Yes. I mean, (laughs) all right. So uh, let's, let's talk alignment. Um, You know, at the end of the day, uh, you have oftentimes competing factions. You have sharks and jets. You've got, uh, you know, Dodgers and giants. Uh, You've got, you know, basically, you know, snap dancing, fighting, and all kinds of things between sales and marketing, right? You've got two competing, seemingly competing factions. Um, how can marketing and sales support each other to create like real impact uh, in their email strategies? Yeah. So I think this, the start and the underrated thing to think about here is, is compensation and pay plans. How do you make sure you're incentivizing everyone toward a goal and not toward attribution, vanity metrics, et cetera. Um, and I'm going to give a great tip that, you know, when we were acquired by this business, they do it and I love it. The way they the way they do a lot of their pay plans is they don't want to complicate it with like six metrics. So they'll say like, um, for example, your bonus is based on revenue, but there are qualifiers that are around the number of pitches that you schedule and the quality of those pitches. Okay. So, so I really want everybody to think about this. This is so important. So especially for meeting centers. So just for the audience, picture somebody who's sole job it is to set a meeting. How do you pay that person? Do you pay that person on meeting set? Well, probably not because those meetings don't show up and they stink. Then you've got upset salespeople. You've got paying somebody that on something that never turned, you paying them on a meeting that never turned into revenue for the company. That's a problem. Okay. Do you pay them on revenue? Well, that's not great either because you pay them exclusively on revenue. They don't control anything after they set the meeting. Some salesperson does. So what I'm giving you here is this tip of like, okay, pay people, get the alignment perfect. If you get the pay right, you can get people cooperating more cohesively. If you get it wrong, it's impossible. So spend a ton of time figuring out, okay, what is the bonus metric? And then what are the qualifiers to get the bonus on a percentage basis? And if you figure that out, you can figure out alignment. I think it's just that simple. Get the pay plan right. First step. So uh, I got to be honest, I've had, you know, a ton of different people come in and we talk about alignment almost on every show. I think that's the first time, you know, racking my brain. I think it's the first time that anybody just came out and, and just point blank said, look, uh, get, get the pay plan right. Uh, and totally right. That's, that is the easiest and quickest way to, to disconnect sales and marketing. Easiest and quickest way to disengage somebody is by futzing around with or getting the pay plan wrong. Uh, fantastic advice. All right. Rounding third here. Last question for you, my friend, if you could leave our listeners with one more, I mean, you've already given just tons of tips, but if you were to say an elevate one, you know, leave our listeners with this like final piece of advice, you know, what, what would you, what would you tell them? Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to give them a new one here at the end. That's okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
when it comes to any kind of email marketing, but particularly cold email outreach, emailing strangers, the number one thing to focus on is getting the email into the inbox, getting the email into the inbox. And that's called deliverability. Some people have heard of this technical term. If you haven't, you will. It is the most important part of email marketing for the last year and a half that is way under discussed. And it's going to be the most important part going forward. Promotions folders, updates folders, spam folders, junk folders, you name it. If you're not getting into the inbox, you're not even in the game. So there are a few steps you can sort of take to make sure this is happening. There's some technical DNS, DKIM setup that needs to be done. You can find this on the internet. Uh, second, short, lowercase subject lines to generate engagement. So no more than four words. Third, focus on the first two sentences of your email. Be really weary of personalization. It could come off bad. If you say, hey, Jeffrey, I'm never opening it. Um, and fourth, and this is technical and wonky, so I'm sorry, Ryan, if people don't want to hear it, they can cut it. But if you're doing cold outreach, what you want to do is you want to have multiple different domains. You want to have sapperconsulting.com, app.sapperconsulting.com, sapperconsulting.net, and you want to have different senders on each of those domains sending out very, very slowly. So kind of a wonky, boring tip at the end, but if you do email marketing or email prospecting, you observe those few uh, tips, you will be better off than you were before. Jeff, man, <laughs> thanks for being on the show. Oh. Th this has got to be the most jam-packed, tip-filled, practical, usable uh, show I think we've ever had. So Jeff, thanks for being on the show today. This was fantastic. And listeners, for more from Sapper Consulting and from us here at Primary Intelligence, check out the show notes at www.primary-intel.com forward slash podcast. And remember, no deal is out of reach. We'll see you next time.